One and a half months, six cities, over 3,850 kilometers, my summer adventure is coming to an end. It started ever since I landed at Tantanyut International Airport at the beginning of June. Within several days, I was packing my bags for my first trip in Fukuok where I learned about the rise of the Fukuok tourism industry and a case study of its impact, the Hamden Pier Bridge. Afterwards, it was a memorable overnight train journey to Quinyun where I reunited with my extended family and had the chance to learn more about the relics of wartime through an interview with a surviving soldier. After a brief break back in Saigon where I paid a visit to the Saigon post office, I was off again to Bumetok where I visited the Bumetok exile house and spent several days going to different villages and learned more about stilt house culture in central Vietnamese regions. Finally, to end it all off was a two-week excursion up north of Vietnam to Sapa and Hanoi. At Sapa, I had the opportunity to teach English classes at a local vocational center, embark on a multi-day moped excursion, visit the top of Fancy Pan Mountain, and walk through the rice terraces with locals. Returning to Hanoi, I visited the Dung Lam ancient village, the Bekdang pottery town, and went on a Hanoi food tour on a tricycle. I landed back in Saigon just several weeks ago and ended off my journey to explore the Vietnamese narrative with a day trip at Bentan Market. As my journey comes to an end, it will only be fitting to write this conclusion episode to some of the takeaways I gathered from my summer adventure. Thank you for following me along with this podcast series. This is the final episode of the Vietnamese narrative. One of the most common themes that I encountered throughout my journey in Vietnam is the theme of change. Change means the act or the instance of making or becoming something different as a noun or replaced with something else, especially something not of the same kind that is newer or better as a verb. What I had set out to explore was not why change happens. It's important that I acknowledge that. Fundamentally, change is something that is inevitable. Simply put, as society becomes more modernized, society will adapt with the rapid pace of innovation and cultural transformation. Nothing ever stays truly the same over the course of a long time. Rather, I had set out on my journey to explore the intricacies of change, the intersectionality and the fluidity of change, the perception of change by the people who are in the middle of it, and how those perceptions evolved. I want to bring up some of the topics I had covered throughout this podcast. Take Saigon, for example. Saigon is probably one of the clearest examples of three aspects of change that I had set out to explore. In a previous episode, you probably would have heard me mention the term 4.0 age, which colloquially means a new era where technology has a greater grip on Vietnamese society. This is considered change. Vietnamese locals have to adapt to this new generation to keep up with the pace at which society moves. However, the issue is more complex than at first glance. What I learned from my case studies in Bentan Market and the post office is that the soul of the old Saigon still lives within the city. This is a part of Saigon, a part of the Saigon people, that longs for the return for what the old city used to be. Perhaps Saigon was so special to the people because it once truly belonged to them. Accompanying the development that encapsulated Saigon was a facade that prevented Saigon from being its true self, a construction of a more polished everyday reality that didn't feel like it was something that spoke to the soul of the city. It was, more well put, a second identity. Renovated, reconstructed historical sites, modernized roads, tourist attractions, digitalization. Is it really the Saigon we knew before? Locals who had lived here their entire life speak to the change with a mix of disappointment and optimism. 
there will always be intersections between perceptions of locals. Some favor the modernization of the city, yet some yearns for the return to traditions and the ways before. It is this longingness for the return of something that felt personal. It's longingness for nostalgia, for the old ways to be the new ways. Saigon is a fascinating case study because of the locals who live here. The city is more than just a city. It is a living entity, a living part within the soul every Saigonier. Though everyone knows that change is inevitable, is it really too much to ask? Another theme I came across while embarking on my journey was the theme of Vietnamese history. During my interview with Mr. Bing, the soldier who had lived 39 years of warfare, I had a glimpse of what life was like during one of the roughest periods of Vietnamese history. It is then important to remember that Vietnam was once an enslaved country. The term has particular importance to the history of Vietnam because the country was always under the subjugation of foreign rule. From the 1,000-year reign of the Chinese dynasty, to the control of the French Empire and subsequently the American government, it is important to recognize the impact that Vietnamese history has on its ideology. For all these conflicts bruise an undying national spirit that forms much of the basis of Vietnamese society today, national independence and individual freedom with guidance from the state. As I talked to historians and spectators of the war throughout my journey, I relived the image they provided me of their memory of history. I want you to imagine yourself living in a small bamboo scaffolding house in the middle of rural Vietnam. Rumbles of bombs and shells are a common occurrence, hence why you're always wearing a chrome hat to protect yourself. Imagine being in a state of constant worry, constant hiding. Imagine not feeling safe in your own home or anywhere for that matter. Then imagine if you were a kid walking along a narrow trail to go to a tiny makeshift school in the nearest town. Imagine ducking down every time you hear a plane incoming. Imagine learning basic Vietnamese and math while listening to a faint radio signal describing the war situation up in Hanoi or in Saigon. Then imagine yourself as a soldier traversing through a forest in the middle of the enemy territory. Planes from above cruise across the forest cover where your base was placed and drops missiles after missiles, bombs after bombs. Your comrades died in front of you because of one reason or another. Hunger, thirst, venom, bombs. Imagine just that. Then I want you to imagine within those schools are young, excited children eager to learn how to read, how to write, and how to do math. I want you to imagine all the kids banding together to read newspapers written about the war. I want you to imagine the kids all writing poems and prose in Vietnamese about their admiration for the bravery of the soldiers. I want you to imagine within all those nooks and crannies in the country you can find people banding together and educating one another on Vietnamese wartime values, strangers helping one another over a mutual bond. I want you to imagine the newspapers, the posters, the radios, the TV, and how they might have portrayed the Vietnamese resilient wartime societies. I want you to imagine the soldiers climbing mountains, hiking through dense forest covers, hiding within small trenches and gaps between trees. I want you to imagine how they are considered the heroes at the forefront of the battle for Vietnamese independence. This is a Vietnamese narrative that senior generations of Vietnamese people remember. This is a narrative that they understand well. This is the narrative that they have ingrained in their minds in the years after the war and beyond. This is the version of Vietnamese history that I discovered as I traveled along the country. The notion that Vietnam rose up from its hardships and emerged stronger and better than ever. 
as Mr. Bean said in one of the episodes in Fuku in Quinyun, in order to really appreciate the conditions you're in today, you'll need to have lived a day in the past. I want you to imagine what that meant. Lastly, I want to discuss a major trend I noticed throughout my journey. The trend is clearest in Bumatul case study, but it can be applied to almost most, if not all, the other case studies mentioned in this podcast. I'm talking about the displacement of ideals. In the case study of Bumatul Stillhouse, one of the main reasons why the concentration of Stillhouse declined so rapidly was because over time, as urbanization continued to spread out across the central Vietnamese area, Society has shown that there are alternate ways of living that are more comfortable, more adequate, more modern. Hence, this explains why when given the choice, most Stilthouse's families would actively choose to move away from living in their Stilthouse. It is simply because they want to improve their standards of living and the Stilthouse is no longer the way to go. Therefore, what I mean by displacement of ideals is the phenomenon that accompanies change. Old ideals, which were considered ideals of an elapsed time, are actively replaced with new ideals that as society adapts and proves that the old ways are simply inferior. I want to apply this to several more case studies that I mentioned throughout this podcast. The train, for example, is a great example. Just several decades ago, when rail travel looked as if it was going to be the next big thing in Vietnamese society, the development of air travel derailed the train's popularity. This is simply because many considered air travel to be cheaper, faster, better, Note too that the, the train historically was the main mode of transportation in Vietnam until that point. Or the case with the post office and sending physical mail. This displacement of ideals can essentially be applied to anything that technology can replace. Physical mail replaced digital mail. Jobs previously done by humans can be automated. You get the main idea of what this phenomenon is. This is essentially the replacement of what was considered the big thing with a new big thing. The balance between tradition and modernity. Applying this phenomenon to a bigger scale theme in my journey, can there be an adequate mix between the rise of tourism versus the preservation of tradition? The answer? I think yes. Part of what makes Vietnam such a unique country is the aspect of tradition that it boasts. It is the cultural art, music, history, custom sites, and the people that makes Vietnam a country that is rich in heritage. Noticing the different degrees of balance between tradition and modernity in Phu Quoc, Sapa, Bumatok, it shows that a balance can be striked between the two. What tourism in Vietnam needs to do is to take advantage of the rich heritage and provide more opportunities for local involvement. In Phu Quoc, the fishing culture has greatly been affected by the rise of tourism. What I noticed too was the lack of cooperation between tourism and locality. In Bumatok, in the case of the Echo Dong village, aspects of tribal culture are being reconstructed and the local Ede people have little to no say in how they are being represented. In Sapa, on the other hand, Locals make up an integral part of tourism scene in the area. Local tour guides are hired to lead groups of tourists around the region because they know it best. There are areas designated for tourism, areas designated for traditional communities that inhabited the area. There is a level of cooperation between the government, the locals, the tourist corporations themselves. Perhaps, Sapa is a case study of how Vietnam can maximize the potential benefits that tourism can bring, as well as retain so much of its rich heritage and culture. Tourism needs to coexist with the local community and not take it over. By incorporating locality into tourism to provide more hands-on, experiential travel, tourism in Vietnam can be a massively educational opportunity, which can bolster the cultural image of the country as a whole.
In conclusion, throughout this trip, I learned about the nature of change in Vietnam and all of its intricate intersections, the balance between tradition and modernity, as well as discovered an image of a wartime Vietnam through the eyes of the people who had lived through it. Through this experiential travel experience, I developed a greater sense of appreciation for my home, its history, its beauty, as well as its potential to become something bigger. Thank you for following me along my summer journey. Until we meet again, this is the end of the Vietnamese Narrative Podcast.